Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode where we're going to be talking about technology with David Carter, who's the chair of Canterbury Tech. Here's an excerpt from the interview with David. I think Kiwis are very good at disruption Mm. and thinking outside the square Mm. and coming up with new ways of approaching things. And that's something that uh, we need to get into our kids as well. Mm. Uh, You know, I really believe that the future of Christchurch and Canterbury is around tech. We need to do this. We're doing this pivot from being a a typical agriculture-based economy uh, with farming, uh, with dairy, with tourism, you know, you know, making use of our natural resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's limited in what you can do there. It's not scalable. Mm-hmm. So tech is the obvious answer to that as a scalable future for mm-hmm. Christchurch. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think we need to encourage our kids and more importantly, their parents to understand that and to understand that tech is I believe, the way forward for them to have a prosperous future. This interview is one in a series I've been doing on technology. So three weeks ago, I spoke with Professor Rob Lindemann about virtual reality and augmented reality. And then I spoke with Peter Beggs, the CEO at Antarctica New Zealand, all about Antarctica. And then I spoke with Stella Ward, all about health and how technology is shaping the face of the future of healthcare. And in the next episode, we'll be speaking with Miranda Satterthwaite from the ARA Institute of Canterbury. I talk about the colonization of Mars with her, as well as NASA, and the promotion of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics for the next generations. If you don't want to miss out on that and other upcoming episodes, then just hit subscribe. And if you can take 10 seconds to leave a rating and review of this show, that would be appreciated. Now let's get into the interview with David. Okay, so it's a pleasure to welcome David Carter, who's the chair of Canterbury Tech and also a partner at Stratos Technology Partners. It's a pleasure to have you here. We're doing this recording in the lead up to Tech Week, um, which is happening a bit later in May. Um, So what we're going to do is talk about uh, what's going on here in Canterbury and in Christchurch um, from a technology point of view. But before we do that, what I'd like to do is find out a bit about the person, like where they're from. So okay. if we can just rewind to the start of your life and tell us a little bit about um, where right. you come from. Okay, thanks, Stephen. Um, so I grew up in South Africa um, in the 80s and 90s. I went to university where I did a, um, a BA in psychology and economics and then a, a postgrad in human resource management. Um, but discovered that um, there wasn't really... Um, a career for those um, those skills at the time so I needed to do something else so um, I did a programming course um, really enjoyed it did well at it and was offered a, a job off the back of it so that's how I got into software development as such and were you when you were a child was were you into computer games and you know like sort of tech things yeah, or I, we had a computer we um we got a uh, um i wanted a zx spectrum but we uh, we didn't get one of those um <laughs> ended up with uh with a texas instruments um computer but um it, it could do basic so i used to sit there with the books and i used to type out these programs all weekend okay you know and you save them onto the tape and then you play them back and that and so i quite enjoyed that um i also did my school didn't offer computer programming so I actually did a year of computer programming externally, uh, which turned out to be a year of Boolean algebra, they call it, um, which put me off programming. 
right. um, <laughs> as a result because it, it wasn't a lot of fun um, dealing with ands and ors for, for a year. Mm. So um, I went to university and did a BA. Um, but like I say, I got back into it after university mm. um, and kind of rekindled my love of it. Yeah. And yeah. so it sounds like your childhood, there was that, that you were naturally drawn to it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. And um, uh, I remember I, when I was at school, I had some career advice from a career counselor and they said, look, you're totally flat. There's no spike in you whatsoever. So just go do whatever you want. Right. And I think that's kind of been, um, it's a, it's been a bit of a, a burden um, in some ways and that I haven't ever been drawn to really wanting to do one thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, um, I'm quite good at a wide range of things, mm-hmm. uh, which is a blessing in its own way. So you just really have to find out what your gifts are, your strengths and how to use them. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. And you mentioned 1980s, 1990s, mm. South Africa, mm. lots of things are happening at mm. that time. Yeah. What are your memories of that era? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a, um, it was a fascinating time in history. Um, but I think, you know, when you're growing up in a particular culture, in a particular environment, uh, you don't question it. Um, you don't ask, why is this happening? Um, you don't, you know, I had a very privileged upbringing and I went to a nice school and we had servants and, you know, all that sort of thing, uh, which was quite common in South Africa at the time. If you, if you were white, there's a good chance that, um, you know, you were going to be, um, well off. And, um, yeah, and like I say, when you're in there, you, you don't question it, you just accept it. And, you know, I see the same of my children now when they're growing up in in what is um you know a really privileged environment in a fantastic country mm-hmm. they don't question it they don't wonder why is this happening uh, they just accept it and it was like that um but then we had um uh, mandela being released which was fantastic and he was such a great statesman and it was a real eye-opener as to what a great statesman can do for a country mm. and how he can turn a country around mm. uh, and that was great and then we won the world cup the rugby world cup and that was just a you know another uh, another level of excitement and enjoyment um so it was a real psychological boost wasn't it the world cup it that, was like, yeah because you know, so much had been happening so much turmoil and then to to be the world champions was you know, quite a big thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a huge thing. And likewise, it was a real coming together of the country uh, because the whole nation celebrated it. Mm. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, but it wasn't really until I, I left South Africa for quite a while and looked back, I, I really started, you know, questioning, mm. you know, how it had worked and, and what role we had all played in it. Mm. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a very, very interesting time to be there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And obviously, we're here in Christchurch now. So yeah. <laughs> what was it that took you or led you out of South Africa and, and ended up here? So um, I, after I'd finished university, I worked for a year or two in Johannesburg. Um, it wasn't really enjoying it. Um, my father got hijacked in our driveway, you know, had a gun held to his head, that sort of thing. And uh, I didn't see a, a long-term future. I was going, right, I can stay here and, and invest time in building up a career, etc. Or I can just go overseas now and start doing it. So I had a brother in the UK. So I went over to the UK mm. and um, yeah, I got a job. Um, was virtually uh, promptly sent back to live in Africa because I, I was sent to Mozambique to work on a, a taxation project. So it was one of my first big software development projects was being packed on an aeroplane off to Mozambique for six months to to build them a, a taxation system. So hmm. that was a, a baptism of fire. Hmm. So you were uh, based in Mozambique yeah, itself? Yeah, right. which, um, which is, is, was nice at the time because my mother actually grew up in Mozambique. She uh, She's Swiss 
and her father was a Swiss academic slash missionary uh, who was sent to teach at the university there. Okay. And um, so my mother grew up in Mozambique or Lorenzo Marx as it was at the time. Um, so I knew I'd heard a lot about it. I'd heard a lot about the history. Uh, so going back there was it was nice. It was mm. kind of a, a full circle. Yeah. And yeah. what what is it like? In its heyday, I think when my mother lived there, um, it was known as you know one of the jewels of Africa. It was beautiful. There were marble promenades and palm trees, and it was a very much a colonial lifestyle. Mm. Um, unfortunately, now it's um, you know it's it's a third world African country. There's there's serious issues uh, with poverty, and um, and it went through a lot of civil war. Um, so yeah, they, they've got a lot of work to do on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it gets a lot of um, aid from you know external agencies, mm-hmm. and that's why you know I was there and the company I worked with were there. But um, I, unfortunately, it's one of those African stories. Um, they've got a lot of work to do on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you were there for six months, you said, and then yeah, back on to and the off, UK? probably six months to a year, and then back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around about the two thousands I was there, and the two thousand bug was rearing its head. Okay. Yeah, Y2K. Right, yeah, yeah. the world's going to end, right? Yeah. Airplanes are going to fall from the sky. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so I was working as a contractor, and it was probably one of the best times you could work as a contractor. Right. <laughs> uh, so I got a job with BT Cellnet, the telephone agency, and I was writing um, software to help plan their lines and their, their networks. So that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and contractors at that time, it was the heyday for contractors. You could work as much as you wanted and they didn't question what you did. And it was just, they just had so much money, they were throwing it around. So it was a great time to be a, a young man in London, you know, earning good money. So yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun. And then they decided that they were going to outsource it to India. And that was the end of that. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet ride finished. Yeah, yeah. yeah and can you can you recall, like, November 1999 or December 1999, just mm. the mentality, because it was headlines all over the place, wasn't yeah, it? it? Like was. how everything is going to turn to custard, basically. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you do you remember what you were thinking at that time? Or um, I don't actually. I was, no one actually knew what to expect. I knew yeah. that there were a lot of software projects in place, you know, checking to make sure that these things weren't going to be an issue. Mm. Um, and so by and large, I think it was blown totally out of proportion yeah um and, and probably partly by the software community as well and in, in, you know to, to to drive up demand in services you know they probably did a bit of scaremongering Need as well prepare, i imagine right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> great way to sell services if you're yeah. a service company yeah the end of the world as we know it but yeah. use me and i can fix yeah it. i can fix it. <laughs> it's insurance right yeah and people love insurance yeah for sure yeah. yeah so then the sort of 2001 era and sort of the tech uh Bust, I guess. Were you involved in that at so, that time? Or yeah, that? so uh, I guess um, I was working as a contractor and, and the gravy train came to a stop. Mm-hmm. And I was working with some Kiwis um, at Cellnet. And um, one of them said, look, I'm starting up a company back in New Zealand to write the software for um, uh, for lines companies. Do you want to come and join us? So, um, I thought, well, you know, New Zealand sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Never been there, so... Packed up, packed up my bags, and um, ended up in Motueka, right, just outside Nelson. <laughs> yeah. So that was my introduction to New Zealand. We hired a house there, went and sat in in a room, and and wrote software for a couple of months. Wow. Uh, which was good fun. Um, but then I kind of realised that, um, yeah, I, it wasn't 
quite for me. Um, I actually wanted to go and meet some people and be in a, a larger city and, you know, right. actually get you. Know, it's, it's very isolated. Area, it's but beautiful, yeah. but it's still a gilded cage in a yeah. lot of ways. So. Right. Um, so and, and what did you know about New Zealand before you came? Very little. Um, I worked with a couple of New Zealanders and I really liked them. They're, you know, yeah. nice people. Mm. Um, so that appealed. I knew it was bit like South Africa and that there was rugby and you know barbecues and that sort of thing so I was pretty sure that um, I'd get on with the lifestyle mm -hmm. um, but really I could have turned around and come back the next month for all I knew it was mm -hmm. uh, it was just an adventure yeah. you know when you're, you're 25 26 it doesn't right. matter try yeah. it out and see yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's good so you moved from Motueka then to Christchurch Christchurch or? okay yeah. so I came in uh, um, what was then Sunguard um, which is now FIS, mm -hmm. and uh, well, I think it was my first interview. Went and had an interview, and, uh, uh, and I liked them, and they liked me, and um, so I got a job. Mm -hmm. um, ended up um, moving in with my um, flatting with my now wife. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was that was the end of that. I was I right. was in New Zealand then. <laughs> yeah, it's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And um, so just trace us through the next couple of years and maybe throw in your experience of the earthquakes as well. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, let me go back. So um, I worked at um, SunGuard for a while, um, and they actually seconded me back to London after a couple of years. So I worked for another year at the London office there. And then I was supposed to be coming back to work in Christchurch. Um, and I had an interview with the, um, with the boss at the time. Um, and I made the mistake of telling him how I thought he could improve some things in the company. So uh, as a result of that, he didn't offer me uh, my job. <laughs> <laughs> he decided I wasn't well suited. So um, I, I learned from that. I learned that, um, um, yeah, if he wanted me to have an opinion, he would have given it to me. Um, and I shouldn't perhaps have spoken out at that time. So sure. that was a learning curve. Um, but I came back anyway to, to Christchurch. Um, and I did actually end up getting a job back at SunGuard after a few strings were pulled here and there. So mm -hmm. um, I settled back in. Um, then I worked for another company called Comtest Instruments, um, which is a fascinating Christchurch story, typical Christchurch story of a, yeah. a small company uh, run by an amazing man um, called Jack. And he apparently was uh, one of the original successful car dealers in Christchurch. Mm. And um, I remember this very clearly uh, in about, would have been about 2007, I think. He pulled a card out of his wallet and he said, uh, I want you to read this, and, and I had a look at it, and it said, in 2012, I'm going to sell this company um, for however much it was. And I went, well, that's nice, Jack, that's great. Th thank you for showing me that. Um, and I stayed with that company, and we uh, we went on this, this growth path uh, where we developed these instruments, uh, and we actually, uh, the company did um, work um, with accelerometers to detect um, when machines needed um, needed maintenance. So it was predictive maintenance using accelerometers. And um, we built these um, game-changing instruments that just totally took the market. Um, there were huge companies like GE, et cetera, who were doing the same thing, but not nearly as well. And it was um, a couple of great engineers in Christchurch just sitting there and doing this. Mm. Fascinating to watch. Uh, you know, it was just a couple of brilliant guys. And um, it, to cut a long story short, the company ended up being being bought up by GE in the year that Jack said he, he was mm. going to do it, and I think for the money that he wanted as well. So wow. that, that was really impressive. Yeah. Um, so after that, um, I've always wanted to, to be my own boss. 
in some ways. You know, I, I wanted to do that and I wanted to know if I had what it took to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, my wife uh, was very understanding. Uh, we didn't have kids yet and uh, she had a good job as a doctor. So I basically had license for a year to go and muck around and find out a bit more about myself and what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. um, I said, right, I'm going to go contract. Um, and I went to what was then the incubator. So it was the first of its kind in Christchurch and it's now powerhouse, but at the time it was the incubator and there were, you know, a dozen odd companies in there of entrepreneurs doing their things. So I just went in there and they gave me, I knew some of them, so they gave me a room to sit in and I just go chat to these entrepreneurs, find out a bit more about them, what they're doing, Mm -hmm. did a bit of work for them occasionally. And that was that was really interesting, and I, I found out that I didn't have what it took to be that kind of entrepreneur, right. you know, the kind that has a dream of a product and they follow it and they are dogged and they are not going to give up on it, mm-hmm. and that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what were the characteristics you, you observed in them that you thought that's not me? Just that um, that sheer bloody-minded determination. Mm that their idea is going to work mm. uh, and not to let anybody else influence what they're thinking. You know, they're very good at, uh, at blocking out, um, you know, what other people are saying, naysayers, etc. They just focus on it and they're so determined. Um, and it, just meeting some of those people and, and observing it was, yeah, it was eye-opening. Mm. Yeah. So um, I worked a couple of people there. Um, and then I got the opportunity to work for a small software services company as a development manager. So um, I took that on. I'd never done a service industry type job. So um, working with lots of clients and working with a team to deliver those results, that was really interesting way outside my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew a lot during that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, around the time of the earthquakes, um, well, obviously we had the earthquakes and the boss of the company decided I think he, he re-evaluated his, you know, what he was trying to achieve in life, as we all did, I think, when you mm-hmm. have a kind of near-death, in quotes, experience. Mm-hmm. And he decided he wanted to sell the company. So he sold it to a bigger company called Data South. And I remember that because, um, you know, it went to Data South, and it was a well-known Christchurch company. and was out near the airport, flash offices. They were huge. There were 20 cars parked outside, brand-new Toyotas. You go inside, and there's Playstations and fridges and et cetera. So, um, yeah, so I thought, well, this doesn't look too bad. Um, I went across as part of the sale, so I started work there. Mm. Um, and I'd been working there for three weeks, I think, at the time. And um, we were all called into the boardroom. And we were told that the company had gone bankrupt. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was an interesting one. Um, and there hadn't been hints beforehand, huh? You'd no. just seen the cars and the, the no. fridges. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, on the face of it, it looked like an extremely yeah. prosperous, uh, successful company. Hmm. Uh, but as it turns out, the, uh, the owner um, was taking South Canterbury Finance for, for many tens of millions of dollars. Um, on contracts he was forging, allegedly, um, and spending the money in Australia on, um, on, on the high life. Okay. Uh, so that was the end of Data South. Wow. Uh, so I hadn't even got a paycheck yet. Three weeks uh, in and three you're weeks. gone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, that was quite a, t- a tumultuous um, time around there. Yeah. Um, so we were sitting there and um, one of the managers came up to me and said, hey, Dave, what do you think about... Um, starting a company where we um, take the existing client base and we support them. Uh, I was like, yeah, 
fantastic sign me up. I didn't even have to think. Um, mm. It's great. It's kind of the opportunity I've been looking for. Right. Because um, so, you've been exploring, hadn't you? Sort yeah. of in different ways with the incubator and exactly. thinking through what what could I do or where do I fit in in terms of entrepreneurship? And exactly. Then, and so you, I'd actually, um, you know, with the move to Data South, I'd almost given up on that. I, I was kind of, you know what, I've actually been trying for, you know, six or seven years to make something happen and I've explored various opportunities. Right. Um, I'm going to go to Data South. It's a larger corporate. I'm just going to chill for a year or two, yep. you know, and put my head down, do some work, and then I'll put my head up and have a look around. Yeah, and just get some steady paychecks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then... Yeah. Um, and it just that shows happened. that you you never know when it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, best laid plans. But <laughs> the interesting thing there to me is, uh, you know, the moment that they said that in the boardroom, you were probably devastated, or you know, like oh, I was actually I, well, I felt I very right? bad for everyone else, oh, okay. um, but I was secretly quite thrilled because um, oh. I hadn't, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying being okay. part of a larger corporate, right? Uh, with that corporate mentality. I see. So yeah. But then the, I guess the point is, then the opportunity came out of that you know, yeah. disaster or, yeah. you know, losing your job, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And I wonder how often how often we focus on the negative side of things when actually it may lead up or unfold into a new opportunity that we hadn't, you know, if we just kept doing the same yeah. thing, like if you had yeah. been successful and successful with quotes, you know, for the next year or two, just clocking in, getting a paycheck, yeah. um, that opportunity wouldn't have opened up. So, no, yeah. I, I, I don't think I would have stayed there that long. I think um, yeah. I think I have a need to, to find opportunities right. um, and to be outside my comfort zone. So you knew zone. that pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need, I need to be outside my comfort zone. Um, it's yeah. almost a pathological desire. Right, right. <laughs> I like to be stretched. So, yeah. that's, so that's three weeks there. Just what was it about it that didn't appeal? It's, um, well, there was, a, you know, a bit of that... Um, classic kind of dysfunction in a larger organization where it's not efficient and effective as it could be mm-hmm. you know there's uh, there's people there who, who are, aren't aren't being productive mm-hmm. um you know um yeah so it's a frustrating experience to, to it is that. you know i'm i like to i like to see results and i like to get things done mm-hmm. um it's that you know I wouldn't call it instant gratification, but you don't want that huge long delay between things happening the whole time. Yeah, um, you want a faster cadence than that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I found frustrating, and I've found mm. that working at larger companies, I'm not good at uh, at sitting mm. and waiting for things. I like to make them happen. Yeah. 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 I, I'm probably similar to you. <laughs> I worked yeah. for a very large, large international law firm for a while. You know, four thousand lawyers, and yeah. now I'm in a much um, more medium-sized firm, and I find it's yeah, it, for those reasons, it, you know, you can make a decision and then go ahead and do it and yeah. get on with it. So, yeah. yeah. So that so you're having that conversation and they're saying, let's start something new. Yeah. And that's what Yeah, what, so the next, next morning we were sitting around my kitchen table. Right. Um, so three of us, uh, myself, uh, Steve Knutson and Peter Cummins, um, and we had to come up with a name for the company. Uh, we had to get incorporated. Yeah. Um, so we learned a valuable lesson there. Don't choose a name in half an hour. Um, okay. So <laughs> first name we came up with was uh, Canterbury Business Solutions, uh, which is, uh, you know, after the earthquake, I think we were feeling quite um, parochial and, you know, right. uh, so we called it Canterbury and that's where we were and it was about business and solutions. So it was Canterbury Business Solutions. Yeah. Uh, but we registered that domain name. And so my email address was, you know, David at Canterbury Business Solutions, which is a very long email address and right. with three S's in the middle. 
And um, there's some websites that won't take an email address that long. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, three in the middle. Yeah, yeah. business solutions. Business yeah. solutions. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we learned not to do that in future. Um, but it took us four and a half, five years to rebrand right. uh, to Stratus Technology. Oh, okay. Partners. So you stayed with that original name yeah, for we quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. And yeah. um, we were very lucky in that a lot of the clients were very supportive around that time so mm-hmm. because of the earthquake people wanted good news stories so we had the double whammy of the earthquake and a bankruptcy due to fraud etc yeah so people were very supportive uh so they, they gave us work to make sure that we were going and, and one of our clients gave us their boardroom so we sat around a boardroom with our laptops for the first couple of months mm-hmm. writing software mm-hmm. um and that was great fun it was mm-hmm. so much fun yeah uh, it was a real startup kind the of early days, you know, huh? early days, yeah. <laughs> bootstrapping and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were we were loving it, and then we just um, slowly grew over time, really slowly. Um, so I think after five years, we probably had about ten, eleven people, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, good friends, some of them um, who came to work with us, mm-hmm. um, and really concentrated on getting really good people. Yeah. Uh, with really good skills so it wasn't a case of let's grow as fast as we can and there was no business plan from that perspective it was just a case of well let's see how we go and, mm. and what happens mm. and, and so so now having been an entrepreneur like that and started your business what sort of advice would you give yourself you know when you're sitting around the kitchen table or you know at the very beginning what sort of things do you wish that you'd known looking back yeah that's a good question actually I'd wish, yeah, I think um, you've got to get out and talk to people. Um, You know, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Relationships are what business is about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we probably could have done more of that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, We got better at it over time. um, But in a services business, a lot of it is word of mouth marketing. Mm -hmm. We probably spent too much time trying to market through other channels. Word of mouth is really what it's about. Um, So we could have done more of that we could have grown more aggressively um we were reluctant to grow um probably a bit risk averse um from that perspective in terms of growing very quickly mm-hmm. and i think we could have done that a bit quicker mm-hmm. um yeah so i think those were two mm-hmm. main things mm-hmm. the other thing i picked up on just the culture you know mm. the, the, getting the right people yeah was a key thing was that oh, something yeah. from your previous experiences that you knew <laughs> so i've um you know, I've been a software development manager at, at a couple of places, mm-hmm. and in the beginning, I did it very badly. Um, I was not a good dev manager, and that's because, um, you know, I was a software developer thrown into this position right. of being a dev manager, and I'd worked at other companies, and, I've, and I did what those companies did. They taught me how to be a manager, mm-hmm. and so I followed that pattern, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a good pattern, mm-hmm. uh, looking back, and, and you know, having, a, having an office in the corner, you know, et cetera, your classic manager, right. you know, coming out and telling people what to do, and then going, why has it gone wrong? It's, it's just not the way to do it. Yeah. So over time, I've, I've learned that that's not how you manage people. Mm. Um, so what would be some of your tips for the, uh, if, you know, the correct way to manage people, given well, those experiences? Uh, look, I, I don't know about the correct way, but I can tell you the way that works better than that, <laughs> I find. That sounds good. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, now we, we have an open plan office and I sit with the team and I right. regularly communicate with the team. And I've grown over time to, uh, to really like people. Mm. Um, you know, I really appreciate people a lot more and mm. I appreciate that they've all got different things to, to add and skills to bring to a team and you've got to find those and you've got to make sure that you, you know, you make use of those and that they feel valued and that they enjoy being there mm. and cult- culture is everything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that old culture eat strategy for lunch saying, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's very true. Mm-hmm. So, predominantly, I hire now as well to for culture. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that people are a great culture fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you know that? There's only one way to find that out, and that's to take someone and put them in your team. Right. So, you know, I've got someone flying out from South Africa in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, they're coming for a week, and yeah. they're going to sit in the team. Okay. And we're going to see how they go. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the real test of relationship, isn't it? <laughs> well, that, that's the, the yeah that that's the problem with um, our recruitment practices at the moment, or that traditionally the way they used to be is you get someone in for an hour, mm-hmm. you know, maybe twice. And you've got no idea what they like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've yeah, really got to get them longer. It's very difficult to assess because many people are good at wearing a, a mask for an hour. Well, <laughs> and I've found that the people who, um, I don't want to say problem employees, but the ones you probably didn't want to employ are particularly, particularly good at that. Right. Um, very, very good at masking um, who they really are because that's how they get jobs and mm. how they get on. Mm. So you've really got to have time with them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Well, the key word that comes through in two parts of that to me is relationship. The relationship with the customers, understanding what they need, and then relationship mm-hmm. with your team, making sure they're happy, yeah. making sure that the culture is, you know, fitting as well. Yeah. 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 yeah that's exactly. really good. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about Canterbury Tech, but just can you explain before we do that, um, Stratos, and yeah. how did you come up with that name, and what does it mean for you, and, and what mm. are you actually doing as a business person now? Yeah, so um, the name Stratus came about because um, we do a lot of cloud-type software, and Stratus right. um, you know, relates to clouds. Yep. Um, due to domain names, we ended up with Stratus with an O, but um, you know, it's, it's close enough, and, and we just like the name, and um, we ended up with STP as the domain name. So mm-hmm. that was nice and short from Canary Business Solutions, which was many, many letters yeah three to three have letters to type now. that out every time <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so stp is great so we we like that um we are pr- predominantly a software services company so we do custom software development mm. for other organizations so they come to us because they need a product built or they've got an in-house team and they need extra resource or the in-house team need training and education on on how to do modern development mm. uh, etc um, so we work across all sorts of different um, organizations and sectors. So, you know, if you've been to the hospital or you've voted online for something or you've hired a nanny or you've drunk a bottle of wine or you've bought some grain, you've probably used one of our systems. Um, so we touch a lot of different companies in Canterbury, which is which is part of the excitement is that we get to work in one area and take the learnings from that and use them in clients in another area. Mm-hmm. And clients all think their businesses are very unique, um, but they're not. Businesses are quite similar. Mm-hmm. They face quite similar challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite exciting to, to learn about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do Office 365 SharePoint, um, that whole Office Microsoft suite stack. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we help companies with implementing that. Mm. And when, it, when somebody comes to you as a customer, what are the ways that you look to add value to their business? Yeah, so the first thing you've, you've really got to do is understand their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that takes time. You've got to understand each, each customer, what makes their business tick, where the pain points are, how you can help reduce those pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's where our team who are very experienced 
um, really add value. Mm -hmm. And that's where good business analysis, good design. And, you know, we talk about the consumerization of software these days, where, of, of sorry, consumerization of um, organizational software, so of enterprise software. So it's not just um, about producing um, these horrible CRM systems with uh, where the user is just expected to know what to do. It's about producing really great experiences like when you use the Facebook app or the Spotify app where it knows what you want to do before you even do it. Mm. You know, using software, producing software that saves time mm. um, and is a pleasure to use. Mm. So that whole UX side of it, user experience mm. is part of it. And mm. that's, that's a fascinating area. Yeah, but yeah. probably pretty satisfying as well for you to, to see the clients then you know, selling whatever it is that they're selling. Yeah, exactly. And and to save someone, uh, you know, doing 20 hours a week of menial mm -hmm. data entry, if you can save them that um, and just smooth that whole workflow and process up, people can go on a holiday, yeah. you know, all that <laughs> sort of thing. It's uh, it's very satisfying. So yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. Well, it yeah. sounds like a yeah, real interesting business to be involved in and um, yeah, it is. be um, supporting Canterbury. So I'd love to talk o about Canterbury Tech now. Mm. Um, when did you get involved with that? And also, can you just set the scene for what it is? And yeah. and because some people are listening, there will be well, there will be people listening who don't live in New Zealand for one thing, but there will also be people in Auckland or Wellington or other places. Um, so yeah, just maybe set the scene and then yeah. how you started to get involved. So Canterbury Tech started 15, 16 years ago, um, where it was a group of guys get together on Friday. Um, they were all software business owners and they'd just um, chew the card and talk about their business problems um, and, and basically support each other. You know, um, I think it was probably quite hard in those times. They probably all felt like they were unique and, uh, you know, facing unique problems. But in fact, once they got together, they really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So they started to formalize that a bit more and they came up with a cluster, came up with a constitution, etc. And uh, started having these meetings, uh, monthly meetings, put a committee together, all that sort of thing. So um, I got involved about four years ago, um, and I'd been running the local Microsoft.NET user group. Mm -hmm. And that was really my first foray into the whole community aspect of things. Um, I'd been invited to go talk there to a presentation, and I went and did this presentation. And I was really nervous beforehand, but mm. I loved doing it. I really enjoyed it. So um, when the uh, user group leader stepped down, he said, do you want to do this? So I said, yeah, great, I'll take it along. And at the time, there were about 50 members. And over the next couple of years, I grew it to about 500 members. And I really enjoyed that building and growing the membership and interacting with the people. It was really a lot of fun. Mm. Um, so based on, uh, it took me about two, two, three years to do. Based on that, I was invited to um, join the committee of Canterbury Tech. It was about four years ago. Um, so um, I was voted onto the committee, um, spent um, two years on the committee, and then um, had the opportunity to um, run for chair, mm -hmm. uh, which I did. So um, once again, pushing my boundaries, I was, um, you know, I'd never been the chair of anything. Mm -hmm. It was the first committee I'd been on. Um, so it was, it was daunting. Um, but you know, my father tells me you can always do more. Uh, you know, you should always push yourself. So right, that yeah. was a 
so that was my stretch my stretch challenge and yeah i've loved it it's it's been a lot of fun over the last two years yeah oh that's great yeah michael trengrove i think he was before you mm, wasn't he because he, yeah. he i interviewed him about code cup yeah. which is one of the things he's involved in yeah um yeah it was interesting talking with him a little bit about it one of the things in that interview if people want to listen and we talked a bit about the um the canterbury tech the event that you run every year mm. could you just explain a little bit about that as well yeah so um that i think you're referring to the tech summit there yeah. so um our remit really is to connect grow and inspire canterbury companies uh, it used to be software companies but now it's tech companies as mm. that line between software and technology has become blurred over time so right. you know, we just opened up the membership more um so currently we have about you know a couple of hundred um corporate members and a couple of hundred individual members and we cater for those members by having a uh, monthly event, which is typically at um, a company um, in Christchurch. And we put on two speakers, a business and a technical speaker, and we have drinks and networking, etc. Mm. Um, on top of that, we have this annual event, which mm. is the largest technology event in the South Island. Um, and that's run every year. We get speakers from all over um, the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is is once again to to inspire mm-hmm. and to try help educate and give people an opportunity to to network as well. So um, that's every year at the um, Air Force Museum at the moment, mm-hmm. and we're kind of limited by venue size and space available mm-hmm. in Christchurch at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's limited to about eight hundred people, but mm-hmm. we get world class speakers, um, and we have a number of streams of of those speakers throughout the day so, yeah 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 it's a great event i've i've been the last two years and oh, um really enjoyed it you know really, like yeah. you say people flying in from all over the world to present on their yeah. specialty area which is amazing yeah yeah so have you seen that event grow you know like if we dialed back to when you first started getting involved mm. has it grown or is it has it been pretty steady at 800 or around there. It's, it's grown a wee bit. Um, I, I think when I first came, it was probably about 500 people, and now it's grown to about 800 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when uh, we actually get the um, the new center online, we, we can host these types of events, which is currently the event center that's being built. Right. Uh, we'll be able to, we'll then have to make the decision, do we try and expand this to 2,000, 3,000 people, yep. or do we keep it the size it is? Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be a decision um, we're going to have to make. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good. If I was talking with somebody in a city or a region who is involved in technology and promoting it, they would probably say that their region or their city was uniquely different and that mm. it, they would probably say that it was world class. I think my feeling living here in Christchurch and Canterbury is that there is a lot happening. Yeah. Can you just set the scene in terms of the culture and what's actually yeah. going on yeah. from a business point of view? Yeah, so um, Christchurch, Canterbury is um, the second largest tech set to in New Zealand now. Mm. Um, and I try to get that into every conversation I have with someone because I think it's so important and so amazing mm. that we realize that, that, um, you know, we are ahead of Wellington who has traditionally had zero and, you know, all the government work. Uh, we're actually larger than them. Um, and we have an amazing, amazing ecosystem. So we have um, really great grassroots support for, um, you know, for entrepreneurs um, and innovators coming through mm-hmm. and the city council is is all behind that 
um, and they want us to be seen as um, an innovation hub, you know, with the likes of self-driving cars and, and, and flying taxis and all that sort of stuff, mm. which, which is great. Um, and I think from the perspective of putting Christchurch on the map, it makes great press stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's very, very important. But it's not just about that innovation. It's the fact that we've actually got some very established companies, you know, in that mid to large um, larger size mm-hmm. companies who've been around for you know many many years mm-hmm. and are world class leaders in what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got companies you know who are the largest search provider in Germany. We've got companies who are just you know doing amazing things all over the world. And it's it I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of American companies have their software development headquarters mm-hmm. in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's important to. To, you know, to appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, part of the reason is, is we've got great tertiaries. Um, we've got the universities. We've got ARA. We've got all the uh, you know, computer power, all those other providers, um, which, is, which is fantastic. And then we've also just it, – it's just a great place to live, and it's actually affordable, mm-hmm. and it actually doesn't take an hour to drive to work. Uh, so we've got, you know, we've got all these environmental and physical attributes – um, on top of having great software companies with great jobs. Um, so, you know, I, I am very, very positive mm. about Christchurch and where we're going to go. Uh, we just need to tell the story. Uh, and that's not only internationally, um, because people fly in and they come to Auckland and Wellington. Um, you know, anecdotally, I've heard that a lot of them don't even know Christchurch has an international airport. Um, and, um, yeah, so... So just in terms of telling that story, can we dive a little bit deeper in terms of some examples of companies um, that we could that we could mention that are based here that people may not even have realized? Yeah, so uh, a great success story the other day was Telogis. Um, so they've been sold to Verizon, um, and they're Christchurch grown and bred. Um, and um, they did um, work around um, routing software for uh, delivery companies, etc. And they became a world leader in what they do, mm-hmm. and sold to to Verizon uh, mm-hmm. uh, remarkably well. You know, SunGuard was another example. That was a company that did financial software, mm-hmm. and that was sold to to FIS and various other companies over time. Mm-hmm. But once again, that was a homebred success story. Mm-hmm. Companies like Diligent Boardbooks, you know, who uh, who mm-hmm. listed in in the US. Uh, and that was grown out of out of Canterbury. Mm. Um, Sequent, uh, who were um, Leapfrog, um, uh, Rand's Leapfrog Geo, were doing do amazing stuff in the geo space, and they're going really, really well. Mm. Companies like Orion Health um, in the medical space. Um, there are so many examples, and there will be so many more that you know I don't even know about. There's mm. companies in people's garages turning over hundreds of millions of dollars that we don't even know about. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> staying under the radar. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fascinating, and I'd love to trace the history of movements and um, how things start. And I think mm. in Christchurch, Canterbury, there's actually a legacy if you go back even much further. Um, I'm thinking in particular about Serangus Tate and Mm. Tate Communications, which of course for decades has been a very large company. And I think that it actually, because it's employed many people who then have gone on to have their own startups, um, it's just fascinating to think because he, I'm I'm researching his life right now, which is why I have this special interest, but you know, he came back from World War II, had an interest in radios and um, started building 
these um, ways to communicate, you know, taxis and and yeah. this is this is like disruptive technology yeah. of its day yeah. because there weren't you didn't really have the handsets in the taxi or ways of communicating. Yeah. And in the 1950s, he's there pushing the boundaries yeah. based here yeah. in Christchurch. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? You know, like literally 70 years ago, yeah. he's working away. And I just wonder if people like that, I'm sure there's other examples, you know, we're kind of becoming models and becoming, um, setting the patterns for what we're now seeing, you know, generations that have learned from people like that. Absolutely. And I, I think Kiwis are very good at disruption mm. and thinking outside the square mm. and coming up with new ways of approaching things. And that's something that uh, we need to get into our kids as well. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I really believe that um, the future of Christchurch in Canterbury is around tech. Uh, we need to do this. We're doing this pivot from being a, a typical agriculture-based economy uh, with farming, uh, with dairy, with tourism, you know, you know, making use of our natural resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's limited in what you can do there. It's not scalable. Mm. Um, so tech is the obvious answer to that as a scalable future for mm. Christchurch. Mm. So you know, I, I think we need to encourage our kids and, more importantly, their parents to understand that and to understand that tech is, I believe, the way forward for them to have a prosperous future. Mm. Um, and tech is not, uh, there's this mindset that tech is about teenage boys sitting in the corner playing on a laptop, mm. right? It's, that's not what it is. There are so many different avenues into tech. There's the marketing of tech, there's design, there's graphic design, there's PSS programming, there's project management. Mm. There's so many different aspects to it that people can fit into. Mm. And we need to get that into schools we really need to get kids and their parents understanding that. And part of that is telling the story because even parents locally don't know about these success stories mm-hmm. and they don't know that technology is this great pathway for their kids. Mm. Um, so that's part of the challenge. Mm. Which is why something that I mentioned before, Code Club, mm. you know, like teaching primary school kids to code, yeah. that's kind of that mindset shift, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. That, and I, I actually went into my daughter's school and taught Code Club Okay. A, a semester because I wanted to I wanted to get into the school yeah. and uh, no one was going to do it. Um, unfortunately, I discovered that um, I'm not very well suited to teaching children. Um, <laughs> I probably would have killed one of them if I'd stayed much longer. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, I stopped that. But um, I've, it's a I saw the results over um, the semester or two I spent there. Mm. Um, the kids pick it up so quickly and they loved it. Um, yeah. And their parents got it as well. And mm. it's one of the most important things is they saw their kids programming and they went, hey, my kid can do it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I want to pick up on something you said as well about the overseas companies buying the Christchurch-based companies because I've heard of several examples of that and then rather than shutting them down and moving the staff, yeah. they've actually just kept them open, haven't they? Yeah. And, and they become, um, like you said, sort of development centers for those overseas companies. Mm. Why do you think that is? Or is it the same answer that we've sort of been talking about, no, the location? And yeah, I mean, the location, there's, there's a worldwide shortage of staff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not as easy as just picking it up and going, well, we'll find 100 developers and, and move them over. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of institutional knowledge that you have. I think they're probably uh, the time zones are benefit in some ways as well if you have yeah. two, two different development centers working in different time zones. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the mindset and the culture 
as well. You know, the Kiwi Development Centre will think outside the box mm. and they'll come up with new product designs mm. and they'll challenge that um, ingrained, entrenched thinking in, in the larger, you know, American organisations, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's of huge value to them. Um, I think they might be a bit cheaper as well um, mm. in terms of just resource. Yeah. Um, so I think it's 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 all those things. Combination of all those. Yeah. It'll be fascinating. I think it'll be fascinating to watch in the coming years as technology improves and you know I, I talked I told you I talked with Rob Lindemann for this um, an interview about virtual reality mm. and we were talking there about um, you know having offices that have more augmented reality so that you can be working with a colleague in Los Angeles and be wearing goggles and you know yeah, kind of yeah. interacting more yeah. it would just be fascinating as the space as the space between us shrinks I guess yeah whether people will go well Hmm. Should I live in Silicon Valley or should yeah. I live in Christchurch, New Zealand, where yeah. I can go skiing an hour away yeah. and be surfing the same day? You yeah. know, like yeah. it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah. I, I think I think it's a no-brainer, personally. Um, mm. Yeah, I, th- I think, and that's why we have to make sure that we get the infrastructure right now because I think Christchurch is going to explode, um, and and the population is going to swell very very quickly over the next ten years. Mm. So um, when we look at things like you know questions about what sort of stadium we should have and should we have rail, should we have um, event centres, now's not the time to cut costs because there's no doubt that people are going to come. Mm. Um, and we need to make sure that we're prepared for that and we don't have an hour and a half long commutes for people, mm. etc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, is there anything else that you think is unique about the Canterbury tech scene from your observations? Or? Um, people from out, out of town often tell us how um, how jealous they are of how well everyone in the Canterbury tech community works together. Right. Um, which I think is really nice because... Um, we're not competitive. Um, so we have a number of partners we work with, Ministry of Awesome, Christchurch NZ, et cetera. Mm. And it's not like we're all trying to draw from the same pool of funding. So, you know, we're constantly competing against each other. We share and we collaborate and we work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're all pulling in the same direction. Mm. And I, I think some of that may have come from, from the earthquakes. I think it certainly encouraged people to collaborate more. Mm. And I think that was very valuable. Um, but I think it's also just the nature of people. Um, you know, Christchurch is, is still, you know, based on farming roots where f- people really like collaborating and helping yeah. and working Give together. Give a hand. Give a hand. Yeah. It's, you know, it's that small <laughs> town kind of agriculture vibe, which is, which is very cool. And we need to make sure that we maintain that and yeah. we keep on working with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And we've got this tech week coming up um, around mm. the time we release this. It'll be happening or it'll be about to happen. Yeah. Are there some things that Canterbury Tech will be doing and involved with that? Or? Yeah. So um, we are, are obviously helping across the whole of it, but um, a couple of events that we're specifically more engaged with, um, we're doing a networking event right at the beginning. So okay. one of the things we always hear from our members is, hey, what if you don't like networking? You know, what do we do at a networking event? So we hold an event, not a networking event, an education event to teach them about networking Mm -hmm. and, you know, what effect of networking is and and how you go into a room and just talk to people, Mm -hmm. you know. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's always popular. So we're putting that on at the beginning of Tech Week. um, And that's um, mentored by Dorji McKinnon, who's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then um, we're also involved with um, an emerging tech uh, in health um, day. Mm -hmm. So um, very exciting. We've got um, the uh, Emerging Tech and Health um, Symposium coming down 
Um, so they're holding it in Christchurch. So we're going to have people from all over the country flying in for that. And there's going to be lots of VR and augmented reality and talking about mm. um, tech and how it can benefit health. And so the next day, um, we're putting on a series of buses to take people from out of town around Christchurch. Oh. And we're going to show them the new facilities at Burwood. And we're going to show them um, just various tech companies in Christchurch, mm -hmm. uh, give them lunch. And in the afternoon, we've got an open forum where we've got um, a whole host of Christchurch tech companies showing off their wares mm -hmm. uh, so people can have a look at them. And we've got a couple of speakers um, coming down. So mm -hmm. that's that's pretty exciting yeah um and then it's great because um one of the people i interviewed was stella ward mm. so she's her interview is going to be on either the week before you or after <laughs> right. but we talked a lot about health and technology because there's so much potential there oh, it'll be it'll be amazing day for your yeah. participants absolutely and and i'm i'm very passionate about health uh, we have a, a number of health clients at stratos right. and and i i look after them so um, that's right in my wheelhouse, mm. um, and I, I love that side of it. Mm. So I'm very excited about that. And then, of course, at the end, we've got um, the High Tech Awards, uh, once again, coming to Christchurch. Mm. So this is all great profile raising. They're really great coups for us. Mm. Um, and if we want to get Christchurch on the map, these are the sort of events we need to have, and we need to have the publicity around them so people people see and hear about us yeah oh that's great yeah. well it's going to be quite a quite a jam-packed week huh? oh, it's going to be a great week really yeah. looking forward to it and um i'm hoping that people are going to get out and support it and um if you do go and you're a techie make sure you take a non-techie as well so right. that they can see what it's about and spread the word see the potential yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and what we'll do in the show notes is link to the canary tech website as well because people right. might be listening and think oh i'd like to join in and yeah. um you know like the monthly events for example because yeah. they could come along right and yeah, just sure. experience it and yep. see what it's see like. what it's about yeah. yeah yeah absolutely great well david it's been fantastic to talk with you and just hear a little bit about your own life journey as well um you know i can kind of picture you back in South Africa there programming away and then look what it's become you know your yeah. your career has taken taking you to London Mozambique and New Zealand yeah. um, and now just that involvement with Canterbury Tech kind of resourcing and empowering other people to take it even further take it to the next level um, mm. I just want to say thanks for your time and appreciate mm. your um, hearing about your journey Thank you, Stephen. And your podcast is, is a really important part of our, our ecosystem. So thank you for doing what you do. It's great. Yeah, no problem. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that perspective on technology in Canterbury in our chat with David Carter. Now, next week's episode will go a different direction, but staying on the theme of technology as we speak with Miranda Satterthwaite, who's the ARA Institute of Canterbury STEM coordinator. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Miranda. We're not too far away from the space industry. In fact, the space station orbits the Earth every 90 minutes and is often orbited over us. Mm. We have just entered the space industry as a nation with a lot of legislative changes at the end of last year and Rocket Lab being able to launch across into, this, into areas where we can get great data from satellites and mm. send up CubeSats. Mm. So we're really unique in New Zealand because we're surrounded by water. We've also got very uncluttered skies. Mm. So we can launch at a time that suits the consumer or whoever is paying Rocket Lab to launch. Mm. That gives us an, a niche market for being able to contribute to the space industry. If you don't want to miss out on that and other upcoming episodes, then hit subscribe in the podcasting app you're using to listen to this. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>